Edge. A three. Good! You can't be serious with that shot. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. All right, what a couple days of college basketball. It never disappoints, man. Just another great round one of the NCAA tournament. The madness came. It has happened. We're here to break it all down. Tim Leonard, Brian McLaughlin on the Just College Hoops podcast, a brand new podcast. So subscribe if you haven't already. And maybe not the volume of upsets of an all-time round one, but we had two of the biggest upsets in recent college basketball memory. I shouldn't even say that, just two of the best upsets in college basketball history when you consider a number two seed went down for just the 11th time ever, and a number one seed goes down for the second time ever, five years after it happened the first time to Virginia in that UMBC game. It is fairly Dickinson who knocks off Purdue. I think it might have been the greatest upset in college basketball history, Brian. I, I know that Austin. the UMBC one was first, but considering Fairleigh Dickinson was outside the top 300 in Ken Palm, they didn't even win the conference tournament. The only reason yeah. they were there is because Merrimack was not eligible because they're a new part of that league and in the NEC. The NEC had never won a game. There's all these things that were going against Fairleigh Dickinson. They had to win in the play-in game just to get there. I think we just witnessed the best college basketball upset ever, which is amazing. I I definitely would 100% agree. What a couple of days of basketball. First of all, I've just arrived back in Burlington after a whirlwind 24 hours in Columbus, Ohio with the Vermont men's basketball team. I've been trying to watch as much hoops as I can, Tim. We're we're packing it in here. And just, I was watching Purdue Fairleigh Dickinson on my phone and I just kept saying over and over, They're in the NEC, a conference (laughs) that I think I have openly said might be a Division II quality conference this year. And no offense to the NEC. I love my St. Francis Red Flash. Um, Merrimack are a team that have played really good basketball this season. But about half of the teams in that conference have been at the Division II level within the last decade. Like, that is the conference that teams go to transition to the D1 level. And... Major credit to Fairleigh Dickinson. Their coach, after winning the playing game, told that team, the more I watch this team on film, I believe we can beat Purdue. And they did it. Look, they they did. Just amazing. It's, Talk about amazing. calling your shot. Amazing that, that he did that. And you know what, Tim? We were wrong about Arizona, but we were right about Purdue. And I think we can say that pretty confidently. You and I both had Arizona in our national title game in the bracket. We'll apologize for that in a moment. But we've told you all that this is what was going to happen to Purdue. You can triple team Zach Eady, and eventually the players around him are going to miss shots or turn the ball over. And tonight, that's what happened. Yeah, they have two freshman guards, and it's been a storyline all year long. And unfortunately, Braden Smith, I think, finished with seven turnovers or something like that. A career high. Lawyer, he was the only guy that actually made a shot down the stretch for them. He made one three with about seven minutes left, then they didn't score. Again, against fairly tickets. Like, this is not a good team, period. No, it's, it's not shocking. a good team. 
going in and still right now on Ken Palm, their defense is 359th in the country. There's 363 teams in division one and they shut down a Matt Painter offense. And we'll get into the storyline on the Purdue side of things in a little bit and how this is just another tough loss early on in March for Matt Painter and Purdue and, mm-hmm. and for the big 10 for that matter as well. We'll talk about all that, but we have to talk about just how fairly Dickinson did this in, in accomplishing the first place. And just a couple more stats on this, because it's going to be talked about a lot. They're the smallest team in the entire nation going against Zach Eadie, who is seven, four in the national player of the year and everything like that. Edie did not attempt a shot in the final nine minutes of regulation of this game. And you're right. They just triple teamed him and took the ball out of his hands. They exposed him in the pick and roll and, pick and pop mm-hmm. game on the other end of the court and they pressured Purdue like crazy. They, they ratcheted up full court pressure, sped the tempo up, did what they had to do to win the game. They had a plan. And unfortunately for Purdue, their Achilles heel all year of those freshman guards really did become a thing that panned out. And sometimes those storylines are overblown, but this one was a storyline throughout the year. And it's the reason they lost this game. I mean, we we talked about it after the Big Ten championship game. Purdue's a great team, and they have a great player, but they had some of the biggest weaknesses as well in the country, and they were obvious weaknesses. And enough of weaknesses that, like you mentioned, Tim, a team that entered this tournament, a bottom 50 team in the country, were able to expose. And I don't know if there's any real backbone into the texts I've been receiving. Should Matt Painter be on the hot seat after this loss? I don't think so. Like he's still obviously a fantastic coach, but man, he's going to have to wear this one for a long time. And Tony Bennett is still going through many of those demons at Virginia, even though he responded with a national title the next year. So it's one of those situations for Purdue where, where do you go from here, Tim? I I don't even know. I I understand you return a backcourt now of two guys who have big time game experience. And um, you're obviously going to be a premier program in the big 10 still, but How do you bounce back from this? This is going to be hard for them as a program to simply recover from because the nationwide narrative around Purdue right now could not be any worse. Yeah. And you say, you know, Matt Painter is still a fantastic coach. I I mean, I think he's a great regular season coach, but I think at this point we we can't ignore what is happening here in the NCAA tournament. And if you're not doing it in the NCAA tournament, I don't know if I can call you anywhere close to a fantastic coach I mean, honestly I, yeah I, I i think of that that it's really his saving grace that carson edwards team and that elite eight run that did lose to virginia yeah um, that to me is the best tournament experience that they've had under painter i still believe in him as a guy who can draw up a good offensive set but you're right at a certain point it's but if just that's becoming... the case then you also got to score against the 359th yeah. best defense right they only scored 58 points so no, and I, I totally agree with everything you're saying, but you you know, you bring up that Elite Eight trip. That's really the only time in recent memory and really in his entire 14 trips to the NCAA tournament under Purdue, and also in eight of those 14 trips, he's been a top four seed. Yeah. That's the only time that they've maybe exceeded expectations or done something that you can say, hey, that was a pretty successful NCAA tournament. That's one for 14. Like that, That's not good enough in terms of, exceeding expectations they've been to five sweet 16s and one elite eight in 14 trips under him and there's been all these stats that have been coming out today and I think everyone kind of knows him but 
They lost to North Texas as a four seed two years ago, and they lost to St. Peter's when they kind of had a gift to get to the final four last year, and they played a 15 seed in the Sweet 16 and lost that game. I hate to put it out there, but they're becoming the team that teams like Vermont want to be matched up with on Selection Sunday. Like, I I was – before Purdue had won the Big Ten tournament, I was ready to root for Purdue to be on the two line and for UVM to play them in the first round. That was what I was hoping to see. I just, before, I want to move on from Purdue because there is so much more stuff to talk about from this first weekend. But is there any scenario where Matt Painter is not their head coach next year? Because I have have people legitimately asking that. I think he's obviously still their head coach going forward. It's just going to be next year all of a sudden – the seat might be a little warm if they have a bad loss again in the tournament or even just have a bad regular season. He's not, I mean, he's not on the hot seat per se, but I will right. say I don't, I'm not picking them to go far next year in the tournament. No. Like I'm not falling for this trap anymore. I, I think we have seen <laughs> until you and I talk ourselves into nobody's picking Purdue. Right. Tim, and, I don't know. And honestly, that's maybe how I feel right now. You're, you're probably right. But I feel that way about kind of the whole Big Ten as a whole. If I see a Big Ten one or two seed, what is the recent history that says you should have that team going to the Final Four? And then, and I know you're a Big Ten guy, and look, Penn State had a big win. We'll, we'll get into some of these other games. That was a big win for your alma mater, Penn State. It wasn't all bad for the Big Ten. I went through and did all the conference records, which we can break down mm, later on. Stats. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, I'll say this. Seth Davis, after the show or after the the game concludes and they go back to the post-game show is saying Matt Painter is still one of the best coaches in college basketball. I'm I'm not saying that at at this point, there's too much of a track record in March. And I get that, you know, some people are going to stick up for him and, and weird stuff happens in March, but I mean, the guy's lost to an 11, he's lost to a 12, he's lost to a 13, a four or a 15 and a wow. 16. The only thing he hasn't lost to at this point is a 14 seed and it's three straight years of totally underperforming. So, and you, you had Zach Eady, like going against the smallest team in the country. This one's inexcusable more than the rest. Yeah, I, I am with you. Let's talk Big Ten then. As a whole, this conference, because you mentioned Penn State, a big win, like you said, for my Nittany Lions, a team that I really, even if I try to take myself out of the fan shoes, a team that I think the Big Ten can hang their hat on, a 10 seed that has gotten hot, they're proving their depth. Michigan State going to be a really tough matchup for Marquette in round two. So there are some bright spots for the Big Ten as a whole. But when your premier program this season lays an egg like that, it's just this year, if if the Big Ten, even though it's been a down year for them as a conference, it feels like it's going to be another black eye for them as as a conference that just are a good regular season conference and can't win in March unless somebody like a Penn state or Michigan state goes to the final four or somebody's able to make a, t- a title run unexpectedly. And I am a big 10 guy. You, you said it. Like I watch a lot of big 10 hoops, the conference I probably follow the closest. And this year there was no denying it was a down year outside of one player. And Zach Eady really had the conference and his team on his back. Now that he's out, you're looking at teams like Northwestern, Penn State, and Michigan State to kind of carry the torch. That Indiana, is too. Uh, Indiana looks pretty good. Indiana, too. Yeah. I guess they did look good, and they beat a good Kent State team. But they're that that's not an easy path for Indiana. And so we'll see. Well, they've 
you've got a lot of games still to prove it to me. But right now, the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are the two big losers of the opening weekend, even with the the solid Arizona State and UCLA performances. The Pac-12 with, with the Arizona egg that they laid in USC just didn't look great today against Sparty. Just kind of further proved the point that they are not in that upper echelon of conferences to me. Yeah, Big Ten went five and three in the first round, and the three losses were Purdue, Iowa, Illinois. To me, those three schools and those three coaches have the most to prove in terms of translating regular season success into NCAA tournament success in March, because Iowa, you know, even the Luca Garza season was disappointing in March. They haven't really translated it over. And Illinois just had a weird year from the get-go. Brad Underwood, you know, I saw some tweets after the Purdue game that if you think Brad Underwood's resume stinks in March, go look at what Matt Painter has done. And I think really all three (laughs) of those coaches, to me, it's hard not to say they're overrated right now because every year we talk about them in such a high caliber, high tier of college basketball minds and college basketball coaches If that's the case, at a certain point, you've got to translate it over. Like, if we're going to get on Rick Barnes every single year, I mean, Matt Painter is basically doing what Rick Barnes is doing, right, in the tournament. It's really inexcusable at this point that Matt Painter can be considered a top five, top ten coach. And part of me then wants to just give some credit to all of these awesome mid-major programs that are pulling off upsets because yeah. they are making the power five coaching coaches look bad. That, that's what's happening. And it proves the depth of coaching that there is in the country. I'm lucky to work with a phenomenal staff at Vermont. I see the effort that just four coaches put in every day. Memphis has 16 guys on staff. And so <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these staffs at the power five level have upwards of 10 different 16 guys yeah I taught so one of Vermont's assistant coaches Bryson Johnson his brother is one of those coaches on the Memphis staff both of those teams in Columbus so I got to get a little inside info into Memphis this weekend but I was just stunned when I heard that number and he was telling me like that upwards of 10 different guys on a staff is not out of the ordinary at the power five level And so it's just, I give so much credit to all the guys who are grinding at the mid-major level, teams like Fairleigh Dickinson, even though they were not a good team this year, to be able to put together a game plan, go out and upset a group like Purdue or or Princeton at the Ivy League level to go through a game plan to stop an Arizona team that you and I were so high on. Maybe it's time to apologize there. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's face the music on Arizona. We were wrong. Arizona, Kirk Carissa was not the wild card to back. It was not. (laughs) I I was so far off there. That one's on me, folks. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. I actually had them winning it all. I think you had them in the national title game. Look, my bracket, I I won 25 games. I'm in first place in my pool. It it doesn't matter, though, because I took Arizona. I also had Purdue going far. It's it's a nightmare because all that matters really is – if your national champion is still alive. And I took one of the few that is not still alive at this point. So I don't know the the Arizona Princeton game. I've just never seen Arizona play offense like that. I I watched them closely throughout the year. You got to give Princeton credit. They had a little bit more size than I knew going in and hand up on that one. I think they were able to handle Arizona size better than a different mid-major team would have been able to. But they also just got the game at a very slow pace. 
And Arizona's half-court offense looked really, really shaky. And I don't know. I mean, I guess that's just kind of how a lot of these games went for the most part and how the mid-major team was able to upset any of the power conference teams that happened this weekend. It is sort of weird. More than any other sport, when you're watching the NCAA tournament, you can just sense when a team gets really tight and it's just all on the line at the end and it's it's weighing on the players. It's college kids out there making mistakes. And for whatever reason, even though Arizona was leading and Tommy Lloyd talked about this after the game, they didn't take a 10, 12 point lead into an insurmountable lead. And when I was watching with the close eye, no one I picked Arizona to win the national title. I knew they were having an off game. I knew they were beatable that day. And when it got down to the final five, six, seven, I knew they were going to lose because you could just tell the team was very tight. It's one of my favorite parts of being at some of these games and and you can feel it on TV, but in the arena, you know, and you can see it in the body language, but there is an aura around these teams and the kids wear it on their faces. It's a little bit different than going to even, I think, an NBA playoff game where big runs happen, but more often than not, the professionals are able to bounce back and just respond quicker. And the really good college basketball teams can do that too. Like your national champion this year is going to respond to one of those big momentum swinging punches. But in these early rounds, you know when the game's over. You you can tell the moment almost what whatever game it is. For to me today, I was I, I was in the arena for Michigan State USC. And you can feel that moment when Michigan State had back-to-back dunks from Carson Cooper, their freshman forward, still about 15 minutes left in the game, and USC looked defeated. Um, and you saw that on TV with Arizona Princeton. Arizona did not have that juice. Princeton, I was so impressed with their defensive rebounding ability. Um, they just, like you said, suffocated the game. They slowed it down. They made Arizona take some outside shots, but they were still contested shots. Courtney Ramey was unable to get off any open looks. He was unable to get free inside. They couldn't get Balo or uh, Tubelis going on the offensive glass. And so, yeah, I mean, our brackets are in trouble. I'm with you. I had a really good first two days as far as overall picks i got 26 picks right wow, i'm tied for really first good. in my bracket pool but i'm in trouble because my national runner-up are out and so my overall projected points are not great and so it's it's like i had a very weird couple of days and like i kept kind of looking around i'm like my bracket's doing really well yeah but again i missed on arizona and i had purdue in my elite eight and so i've missed out on bunches of points already um which you can we'll still see what win though, as forward. long as your national champion hits and you're in a good spot. I, th- I think you're Kansas, you're in a better spot Kansas than you alive. think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm feeling stinks, okay with where I'm at. A lot of people had Arizona going far. It's not like we were the only people that had it. It's unfortunate that I literally picked them to win it all because that kind of rules me out. But I think you you at least Sorry, have a chance over there. Yeah, I'm not done um, yet. Oh, I also had TCU going deep, and so like it's it, it yeah. is what it is. So well, yeah. I mean. It was a fun weekend of basketball, though, right? You, you and I were texting back and won. Did you see that, or I did see that. Okay, so okay, it's, yeah, but yeah. I don't feel good about it. Like I, I, say, I see what I you're say, saying. Yeah, I, like I know I you've know. been I, on a tarmac somewhere for a while, so I was making sure that that game just ended before we recorded here. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. I got the notification on my phone. Right. I didn't get to see any of that game, so I. Right now, the last I saw of TCU, they looked awful. So in my brain, I know they're moving on. And like, that's a good win for me. And maybe it's survive and advance type logic. 
but I do not feel good about them against the Zags who were impressive against Grand Canyon. Yeah. It is fascinating though, going back to the point of how you can just kind of sense when a team gets tight, the three biggest upsets this week, I would say was Furman and that wild Kihei Clark pass at the end, which I mean, Kihei Clark makes maybe the best pass in March Madness history as a freshman. He ends his career with probably the worst. It's just only March Madness that stuff happens and you feel for him and he handled it great post game and everything like that. But Virginia is another team that's kind of piling up these losses like Purdue, which is hard to ignore a little bit, even though they do have the national title, which I think puts them in a different conversation than Purdue does or the Purdue conversation. But that Virginia game, the Princeton game and the Fairleigh Dickinson game were all comebacks. It wasn't like the underdog jumped out to a big lead and held on to the game. It's almost as if the worst spot you can be in in the in this tournament so far is being a four five point edge with like four or five minutes to play, and you're a wow. heavily favored team because if you're that heavily favored team, it's like you're standing over a, a three foot putt in golf where you have everything to lose and nothing to gain. You're supposed to win the game. If you go out and polish off the victory, you're not celebrating. You didn't accomplish anything you weren't already supposed to do. I guess it's a little bit of an accomplishment to win an NCAA tournament game at any point. But if you yip that three-footer and miss it, you look terrible. And you did the one thing that you couldn't do. And that's why there's such a mental block on some of these teams coming down the stretch even if they have veteran pieces. And with Purdue specifically, I think they didn't have the veteran pieces they needed at the positions they needed. And this has been a big week for everyone that says you need good guard play to win in the NCAA tournament. That's always a narrative. I think that held true for Arizona. They have good guard play. They just didn't play well. And if they aren't going to play well, then they're very beatable. The only kind of outside of the narrative there is is Virginia and Kihei Clark because he is the guy that you think of, right? Or or in the small elite group of veteran guards. I think I literally said when we were breaking down the game, you want a guy like Kihei Clark, and maybe that's the difference maker because he's been there for so long. My heart kind of breaks for him and for Virginia that it ended that way because he does have a storied career at Virginia. Like you said, that pass that eventually leads them to a national title in that season. He was so vital for them as a youngster for him to be the veteran and to make that type of mistake was baffling to watch. I was watching that one live on my phone. And so I was like, my initial reaction was like, that wasn't Kihei Clark who just threw that pass. I'm like squinting at my screen, trying to actually believe what I just had seen. So I felt bad for him. And you know what? It was a college basketball play at its peak, though. The the joy of Furman, the despair of Virginia. I had Furman in my bracket. I was fired up for the Paladins. I was just very happy for a team that I felt like were a deserving winner um, and a team that I had really liked coming into this tournament. It was it was quite the game and one of my favorites of the opening weekend for sure. Tim, I'm curious, who impressed you? Who are the teams that you're coming away really feeling good about? Because there aren't all that many teams that I think people are going to be excited about going forward. Yeah, I think you have to be impressed with what Duke did for sure. And I I sort of expected them to win in blowout fashion because I was pretty high on them. And Mm -hmm. I kind of backtracked when it became a trendy pick, but 
look, the ACC, they went four and two so far to this point. I just want to put that out there and let, let's go down all the, the conference yeah, records as, as we're kind of going through. We mentioned Big Ten five and three, ACC four and two. Uh, Big 12 went five and three. I'm not saying it was a bad weekend. TCU winning late and flipping that game was good. The Massive. only thing is they had a one seed win in Kansas, a two seed in Texas, two three seeds in Kansas State and Baylor. Then you had a six seed win in TCU, a six seed lose at Iowa State to an ACC school. And I'm just throwing that out there that, you know, that, that was kind of a, a fun one for me to see as an ACC backer. And a I, I picked Pitt there. I was on the Panthers on that one. I was right yeah, there. With no. I, I mean, Pitt looked good. They didn't really have Federico, Federico playing at 100%, but they played very well in Iowa State for whatever reason. I don't know if something was going on with the Greensboro Rims. There was a lot of chatter about that, but they just could not score the basketball at all. I think they started both halves two for 19 from the floor. So that's why Pitt won the game. You're not going to win games when that happens. That is ugly. Yeah. I mean, it took them, I think, 10 minutes and 20 seconds to get their first field goal of the game against Pitt. So what? they ended up shooting. Yeah, they, they ended up That was going on during the Vermont game. I just followed yeah. that score. I didn't get to watch any of it. Yeah. They shot oh. 23% from the floor in the game. As a six seed, that's a tough loss for your conference. And then West Virginia lost in a close game, 8-9 game. Yeah. So – I mean, I'm not saying the Big 12 looked bad, but I'm not. They definitely didn't look good. And I don't know if they were as good as people were expecting. And just to wrap up, Pac 12 went two and three, not great. Not great. Mountain West, one and three. There was a lot of chatter about that. The two big winners, I would say, the biggest winner was SEC. They go six and one. Their only loss was AM to your Penn State and Nittany Lions. We are. Yes, right. And then Big East. More went, on that in a minute. Yeah, Big East went four and one, which is pretty solid. Their only loss was Kentucky over Providence, which it got lost in the shuffle. Oscar Sheba had 25 rebounds today. It was happening right as Fairly Dickinson won. But anyway, that that's kind of the conference list. I think SEC, big winner. Big 12, a little disappointing. And I would say ECC overachieved. Agreed on the ACC. I think Pitt carried a lot of, a lot of that weight. Yeah, um, that's that's a, a big win for them against the Big 12, who had been that conference for me that the Big 12, if we're talking about overall, their season comes down to the national title because they've been right. the teams with the front runners. They need Texas to now get it done against Penn State. That is a massive, massive game in the round of 32. Um, I was impressed with Baylor. They were a team that I was worried about. They handled their business yeah. against UC Santa Barbara. Baylor Creighton is one of the other games that I cannot wait to watch coming up in the second rounds. Um, and so that was an impressive one. Kansas takes care of business. Like you said, overall, the big 12, I think they are, they're kind of comfortable as a conference right now. They're like, all right, we had a couple losses. We still got our big dogs in it though. We got, we got our horses in the back, if you will. They've got that horsepower still waiting to get it cooking. The SEC is surprising to me that they did that well. I've been out on the SEC like we've discussed. So kudos to them. They got it done. Um, so overall, I think Tennessee, though, like I doubt yeah. they beat Duke still. Like, right. We'll see. Duke Talk has to got me. such a clean path now. Oh, and Florida God. Atlantic's a good team, and I'm happy for them because that's a great story. And maybe they do beat uh, Fairleigh Dickinson and go to the Sweet 16. But if you're Duke, I mean, a Tennessee team that's hobbled, that can't score the basketball, 
you're already just so confident. Then you got Florida Atlantic probably, or Fairleigh Dickinson, one of the two. It's it's a it's, pretty easy path for them. It's got to be Florida Atlantic. But, yeah, great yeah. path for Duke. They're going to run into either – well, they're going to – I think they run into Marquette. I got to see Marquette in person. Yeah. Um. For Let, let me talk about that game for a minute. For sure. Because I want to talk about Marquette, and I want to touch on Vermont as well. First off, um, to the Vermont fans who are listening, I appreciate you all tuning in. And uh, just credit goes out to, to the Vermont team I got to watch this year. I couldn't – I said it on air to wrap up our coverage. Couldn't be prouder of that group that I got to work with. The four senior guards who are graduating – um, it was great to build relationships with those four guys and I'm going to miss them all dearly for many who know about the Duncan brothers run the trio of the Duncan brothers, nine years of Duncan brothers and Catamount uniforms that came to an end today when now the Vermont all-time leader in career games played Robin Duncan played in his final game, but to Marquette, um, Vermont ran into a team that was as impressive as about any that I saw because Marquette did it without Tyler Kolick today. Yeah. Tyler Kolick got banged up early, went to the locker room, taped up his right wrist, only scores eight points. The coaching staff said it to me post-game, Tim. You, if you tell me pre-game we hold Tyler Kolick to eight points on three of ten shooting, I think we win the game. Yeah. And we end up losing by 17. Cam Jones ends up scoring 18 points in a row by himself in the second half. Marquette, to me, I picked them to go to the Final Four kind of as a bit of a joke, a bit of an emotional hedge against <laughs> Vermont. But I came away today really impressed by Shaka Smart. His group defended hard. They didn't force as many turnovers as I think they are going to force against other teams. And it's going to be a battle against Michigan State. But I came away feeling more confident in my pick to have Marquette go to the Final Four. I think the Big East champs still have something to prove. They were running to the locker room, Tim, post game. Still yelling, nobody believed in us. They picked us wow. ninth in the conference yeah. preseason. That's a team that is very dangerous to me out of the Eastern region, especially now that the one seed in that region is eliminated. Yeah, and Michigan State looked good too, so I think that's going to be it an is. intriguing matchup. And you can say that about any game from here on out. You're going to have to play really good to keep going in this tournament. But I'm with you there. I, I think Marquette was very impressive from what I watched today. It got a little tight there at like 45 to 40, I think. And yep, five-point game. That was when Kolek was on the bench, I believe. And I was sort and Cam, of like Cam Jones went on his run. Yeah. UVM had a flagrant free throw. They split the trip. They go empty then on that possession. And Cam Jones goes down and drills a three. That And that was that momentum shift. It was still about 15 minutes left in the game. And I'm not saying the Vermont players look defeated at all. They battled to the end. But earlier you talked about it. You can feel in the game when you're in the arena, especially you can feel when that happens. And that was that moment in the game where I knew Vermont was in trouble. Yeah. A uh, couple other things here as we, we kind of get towards wrapping up, I just want to make sure we kind of spread across the board and hit as much as possible because it's been such a wild weekend here. Uh, both the top overall seeds are dealing with pretty big injury issues right now. You've got Alabama and Brandon Miller, he was held scoreless, played just 19 minutes, had three turnovers, went 0 for 5. Coach Nate Oates said after the game that he's got a groin injury. He's been nursing. He thinks he will be ready to go because he thinks Brandon's just a tough kid. But he's clearly not 100%, and that's kind of a new one that we didn't know about until yeah. he played and struggled in that game. That definitely limits Alabama's ceiling. The other top seed, Marcus Sasser in Houston, we kind of knew about he left the game. He was grimacing. It clearly was a factor. Not really sure why they played him if he was dealing with that groin injury, but 
not to say it backfired because it probably would have backfired regardless of when they played him, I guess. And, you know, you want to make sure you win any game. But on top of that, Jamal Sheed is also hurt coming out of that game. So Houston and Alabama look pretty vulnerable now. And Houston's got to play Auburn basically on the road. Yeah, Yeah. which – they're they're on upset alert, no doubt. Yeah, and you could make an argument. We don't know about Bill Self's status, even though yes. that's not a player for Kansas. All three one seeds are missing, or at least not at one hundred percent, because without Bill Self on that sideline, I I am not as confident in Kansas as I am when he is the man on that bench. We, I mean, it, it's I hate to be the the guy who keeps saying it. There is no great team this year. Um, and there aren't even really a top tier of great teams right now because of those injuries and because of Bill Self's status being kind of up in the air due to his health, which is going to make for just a bonkers finish to this weekend because yeah. everybody's on upset alert, right? Who's who's the one team that you're most confident in going into round two to win and move on to the Sweet 16? It's hard to pinpoint anybody right now. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I was going to say Duke. That was my initial thought process, but yeah. that's a five going against a four. So, I mean, maybe it's Florida Atlantic because they're playing a 16 seed maybe. in the next game. I would say UConn also would qualify as one of the teams that was the most impressive over the weekend. I know they were Good down call. by two at the half, but Sonogo's second half was so outstanding. They just really flashed an upper level of depth that not a lot of teams have at this point. And honestly, Penn state, I, I know you probably want to talk about them and I'm not just trying yeah. to tee you up, but Texas A&M is a good team. I mean, we talked about the sec look great. There's a reason why Penn state was the only team to beat an sec team, I think. And it's because they played really good as well. When the Nittany Lions make shots, they can beat anybody in the country, Tim. They played that way. They're one of the hottest teams in the nation. They've won eight of nine. They've got quad one wins galore down the stretch. They're playing maybe to keep their coach in the blue and white because the more they win, the more money Penn State's going to have to throw at Micah Shrewsbury. And I speak for all of Nittany Nation right now. Give him anything that he asks for. Anything. You cannot let Micah Shrewsbury walk right now, Tim. I know Georgetown's coming calling. I know Notre Dame's coming calling. Micah Shrewsbury needs to be on the sideline going forward if you want to be taken seriously in the Big Ten, if you want to be taken seriously in the college basketball landscape. He's got this team back dancing for the first time in a decade, and all of a sudden they're being talked about as one of the most dangerous teams in the country and the most impressive team maybe of the entire first round. They just went on a massive Big Ten tournament run. You've got to lock him up long term. I don't know if they're going to beat Texas because I love Texas. And Texas yeah. just took Colgate shooters out of the game, a team that lives on the three-point shot. But, man, as long as Jalen Pickett is playing his booty ball, backing his way to the rim, kicking it out to Andrew Funk, shades of Jimmer Fredette, you've got Seth Lundy, the Big Ten's leader in three-point percentage. Miles Dredd's been on that team for a decade, it feels like. I'm riding with the Knits, baby. I, I love the way they're playing right now, Tim. I I'm fired up, if you can't tell. Yeah, no, I was happy for you because, I mean, that was a big win for the Big Ten like we discussed, but I thought they just looked really impressive. For a team that hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since 2001, right? I mean, Ridiculous. it's been a while. They had to get yep. the monkey off their back, and now you've got some momentum. I do think Texas is a tough matchup. and For sure. Honestly, it's it, Texas is a team to me that is kind of being slept on more than they should. I mean, they're probably – in that national title contender bucket right now. I, I guess before we get out of here, 
what's the game that you're looking forward to the most? And if you had to pick who cuts down the nets, who wins it all? Is it still, in your opinion, Kansas, or are you going to revise yeah. your pick? I'm riding with the Jayhawks still. I, that to me is still, even the, the Bill self question marks absolutely loom large. But the players on the court, I said it before we picked our national title team. I like the players on the court from Kansas the best. So I'll stick with them. As far as game I'm most looking forward to, to me, it's Baylor Creighton. Um, Creighton is a team that, as a six seed, I think are dangerous in that region. And I'm fascinated by Baylor. I, 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 I'm obsessed with watching the Baylor Bears. They they score the ball so well, but they can't defend sometimes. So that's the game that I don't know if it's two national title contenders, but it's the game that I'm most intrigued by going into round two. Yeah, I'm for in the, sort of the same vein. I'm going to say Houston Auburn. I am very intrigued by because I just don't think it's being talked about enough how the committee let this happen and let Auburn get two games virtually at home. I know it's happened in the past, but I just feel like this was more avoidable than some of the other instances. And I get that Houston, if they make the final four is going to have home games then, but it feels kind of cruel to put Houston up against Auburn on the road. And I'm just going to be interested to see how they handle that because Auburn's looked terrible all year and they looked like world beaters (laughs) against Iowa. So I don't know how much of that was Iowa and how much of it was Auburn, but if I had to pick a national title contender or national title favorite right now, I like Kansas. I think that's a strong pick. I would also say UCLA. I mean, maybe yeah, we call. were too scared off by the Jalen Clark injury because I'm not going to read too much into them being a 15 seed, but we loved UCLA. And then we just didn't think about them after the injury, but a lot of other teams are injured right now. So maybe they've got a better shot than we thought. That feels like the toughest region right now, right? Kansas, Arkansas is a loaded team. You've got St. Mary's and UConn who are two tough defensive groups. TCU and the Zags can be anybody in the nation when they're right. And I like Boo Booey and Northwestern still. That's not an easy matchup for UCLA. We'll see. To me, the West feels really loaded at the moment. Right. All right, Brian. Well, it's been fun catching up late night here. I'm I'm glad that your flight got in and you had a great season covering Vermont and everything like that. At least you got Penn State. You're you're still rolling with your Nittany Lions. I got no one as a Syracuse guy, so I'm envious of you. But we will uh, catch up down the road. I'm sure we'll reconvene after the second round matchups and get you guys all ready for the second weekend. Thanks so much for listening today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as we will continue to be dropping new episodes and bonus episodes throughout March Madness. So for Brian McLaughlin, I'm Tim Leonard, and we'll talk to you guys next time on the Just College Hoops show.